Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor here. I'm the host and the founder of the Flow State Collective. And today I'm chatting with a good mate of mine. He's, don't tell everyone this, but uh, he's probably a little bit of a hero of mine. He's a guy called Nick Dorr. He's awesome. He's a manly local. He's a uh, chiropractor. He's studied neuroscience. He's an elite athlete um, and is competing for a place on the Australian Olympic team um, as a kayaker. He's also a coach to younger up-and-coming teenage kayakers. He's an entrepreneur and the co-founder of a nutrition company called Red Hippo. And he's just an all-around legend who manages to juggle so many balls with what seems like flow and finesse. So I take my hat off to Nick Dorr. Um, he's an awesome guy. And in this conversation, we really get deep into the foundations of his peak performance. It's not what you might think. It's a very interesting foundation to his level of performance, and it's one that he's learned just through sheer life, <laughs> just through experience. So stick around to hear what Nick has got to say. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks, Joe. So, Nick, um, I know you do a lot of cool stuff. Um, <laughs> you're, a, you're an athlete. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. Um, Tell us a little bit more about, about what you do. How do you describe to your, to, to your friends, to your parents, to your family what, what you do? <laughs> and I usually, uh, I usually pick, pick one or two of those things and just yeah. sort of you know, lock them in because uh, I don't like to rattle them all off. It, it, um, it takes up too much time. I feel like I'm talking about myself, so I'm, I'm unbelievably uncomfortable sort of describing what I do. But here you go, mate, just for you. Uh, I'm a full-time kayak athlete, so sprint kayak athlete. Uh, sort of contained within that is a whole lot of uh, sports science and, and biomechanics of which I have a couple of papers in, as a biomechanist um, and, uh, and a lot of neuroscience and so on and so forth which I also have formal education in that's led into coaching so I coach and I take great pleasure in coaching a couple of great sort of bunches of kids and, and senior athletes I'm, uh, I'm still an academic I'm, I'm enrolled next year to study again uh in a master's by research so it's one of the stepping stones on the way to doing actually impactful research so uh, i'm not sure if you're familiar but in the academic game you sort of have to jump through hoops until you can actually do something that hasn't you know some sort of you know relevance to to what people want to know and uh, i'm I'm in the middle of jumping through some hoops yeah you're playing Uh, the game yeah playing the game unfortunately and uh we i I co-run and co-own red hippo yeah, uh, it's a it's a natural supplement company with a couple other boys from the beaches. Yeah, what else have we got? Oh, yeah, yeah, mate. We uh, run two practices as a, <laughs> as a registered chiropractor, um, and uh, and I work in another practice locally here uh, as well, also as a chiropractor. The other two, though, are probably more sort of in line with what we would talk about. They're um, they're about three D sort of neuroplasticity and, and reintegration techniques. So how can we change someone's function three-dimensionally, alter their entire strategy, everything that their brain and their body collaborates on? How can we 
uh, reinstate a new strategy that doesn't have the hallmarks of their pain yeah. or symptoms or so on and so forth, um, and then gently sort of take away their old strategies. It's a it's a very new paradigm for medicine, and we're going to explore that. You know, that's probably where my passion lies at the moment. Cool, oh, cool. So, talk to me. What connects all these all these things? So, you, you mentioned your passion right there. So, what what is it that drives you to take on these numerous challenges in your life? Oh, mate, uh, I was really lucky with sport. Sport's been the under, underlying theme the whole time, yeah. movement and, and interest in the body, biology and, and mindsets as well. Everything that you know is important in sport. And, uh, and, and sport gave me this fantastic experience when I was 19. I really, really wanted something, all the typical sort of desire states that you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss. I really, really wanted something. And I worked really hard, admittedly, to get that. And when I crossed the finish line... Uh, in first as it happens I felt absolutely nothing and so that um, that was a real cause for me to step back and and question sort of why and what and and man I like I thank my you know thank my lucky stars every day for that experience because that created a completely different trajectory in life like a real understanding and a real awareness of of essence and 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 what is and that's sort of the theme had you been what had you been taught would happen when you achieved that I, I assumed that I would benefit in some way from that either at an individual level or a social level with the people that I competed with or, or raced against and I thought I would feel euphoric right and it just wasn't there no I, mean, I felt absolutely nothing at all yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was confronting because I felt nothing I didn't feel bad yeah but uh, I felt you know it was confronting in how little sensation there was at the end of that. So this conflict, this gap between expected emotion and realized emotion was confronting to you. Yeah, at the time. You were yeah. just like, what the, yeah. why have I been doing this? Yeah, I mean, correct. all the motivators yep. were suddenly redundant. Yep, correct. And I asked the question to the guys that I coach, as I touched on earlier, uh, I usually go like, why are you doing this? And they usually have a pretty good answer. And then I say, why? Again, I ask them, you know, next tier down, why? Yeah. And the amount of defensiveness that that evokes, and and you know, I've seen tears, I've seen anger, I've seen you know all sorts of you know conditioned mechanisms to deal with that question and to suppress that question. It's fascinating, um, and then uh, it, it's a prerequisite for my guys to be able to sit down and answer the deepest, most confronting line of questioning before they're sort of. Uh, it's, it sounds funny, but before they're deserving of our full attention and effort to try and you know help them achieve their dreams it's not a, it's not a handbag situation they've got to really work for it so to the kids that you coach yeah. you'll sit them down and you'll be like why are you doing this yeah why 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 is that important to you what is what is successful you, you know tell, yeah. tell me about that why do you want to be successful you know so, yeah. so basically it's a really annoying sort of you know, line of questioning because you're basically just sort of, you're stonewalling them every direction and making them come up with a new answer. You know, but uh, it, it really provides a lot of sort of food for thought. And do you, do you find that it's an illuminating process for these kids? Like, Very. What is the first answer? Normally, something quite superficial. Very. Yeah. 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 Often, unless they're and and the beauty in the process is that even if they're intelligent enough to know that I'm fishing for something not superficial, the next question will derail them like i said the follow-up why or what yeah 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 yeah, yeah. wow interesting so so let's talk more about your path from that moment when you were 19 Mm. of having all those extrinsic motivators just 
absolutely redundant and you had real life evidence of that at a young age which which is a fortunate thing yeah i, I think. agree yeah because uh, a lot of people can spend their whole lives trying to chase this carrot for sure um so how did you what did you discover you know you obviously went through a shit period what did, what did you discover and how yeah yeah I, i've sort of glossed over a little bit i actually it was about a five year period after that that um where there was a lot of tug of war in my mind because everything that I had learned previously to measure success and happiness by, I'd taken away the aspect of my preparation and my mind that achieved that, albeit I didn't feel the euphoria that I was meant to feel. And in doing so, I actually didn't have any other strategy or any other solution, and I took away the results. So I had like a five-year lull in performance without any other sort of you oh, know, really? strategy in play and that's why with our treatment method we're very very quick the priority is to re is to establish a new strategy in the body before we take the old faulty strategy away because i've lived the opposite of that i've lived where i just disbanded with my strategy disbanded with everything i knew to be true uh and and just left myself in sort of like this void this limbo and uh and and gradually uh picked up the pieces through literature and, and interesting discussions and, and fabulous mentors and so on and so forth to the point where I'm, man, I'm, and I'm very early in that journey. I feel, I feel mm. like it's, you know, I'm only just beginning, but. So what advice would you give someone who's, who's 19, 20, 21 or older, and they've just, they've just achieved what was supposed to bring them lasting contentment yeah. and all that, all that stuff. I'd, meaning uh, in life what would you say to them <laughs> I'd sit down and I'd say man I hear you like let me you know let's try and cut this five year you know void that you're about to enter into about five months and let's see if we can really sort of you know keep you motivated to keep pursuing some more satisfying uh, aspects and enjoyable aspects to living your life and your sport and how how do you feel people can embark on that process you mentioned before mentors yeah, literature yeah. yeah um in my in my own journey um there there was both of those things but there was also just time and space sure sure yeah and yeah. i think like um with i like that you you condensed it you said let's go from five years to five months i think it's important for people to realize that we can't go from five years to five days absolutely yeah. <laughs> like, there's, yeah. there's like a real process to and and to me it's it's like a self-knowledge process it's like learning about who you actually are underneath all that. I was going to say your question at the beginning was sort of how you would go about that. Yeah. The first thing is to academically yeah. and practically understand the ego mm. and then in doing that evoke or, or establish this great practice of awareness. And then aware, you can even be aware, in, in my opinion, you can even be aware of sort of frailties and, and you know, and, uh, and a little bit of judgment in the very beginning about the ego, just so long as you're aware. And then gradually the sort of the judgment of being aware about the ego and so on and so forth starts to peel away and you start to find it almost sort of comical until at some point, hopefully, uh, that dissolves as well and it just becomes a complete awareness game. Talk to me about the comical bit. 
I, I find it funny sometimes when my ego kicks in <laughs> and hey, let me tell you it does you know almost yeah. every day like and uh, yeah. uh, when when it kicks in and I catch it I find it humorous because I'm like right that's nothing you know there's nothing substantial behind how you feel about what you just said and there's nothing substantial about what you just said except for to you know create a defensive situation oh. or a power play or something like Man. that you know our egos are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. They're so brittle and they're, they're so yeah. fickle. And, and puerile as well. Like yeah. They're, you're very reactionary, very oh. irrational. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's like uh, an absolutely key fundamental point. And it, what, what amazes me is how our society, our, our culture right now, has like completely missed it completely yeah. glossed over it yeah. and you have to almost go to like eastern philosophy yeah. to get any sort of uh, structure or lessons or, or, or ways of looking at this this concept that you talk of yeah I, uh, I was fortunate enough to be involved with some truly gifted sports psychologists in my career and even that like even the top tier of investigating mind states in the western world seem to fall just short of the very first starting point that it seems to be essential to understanding the rest of the Western mind frame. Really? It's, it's fascinating to know that we've missed it by, you know, the reality is those guys have missed it by a millimeter, but missed it nonetheless. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So what I observe and what I lived through was just, and what I see every day is people not understanding the separation or this duality um, of themselves and their ego and therefore they get caught in, in this maelstrom, this storm that is their, their fears and their insecurities and, and they are it, they're yeah. in it yeah. and therefore they can't separate from it. Yeah. So obviously being, when you talk about having a very analytical or scientific forensic understanding of, of the ego, um, how did you even begin to develop that in the early days? Uh, there was some great literature which I'll mention in a second but I, I just have to say two things one the more forensic and analytical you become the more room there is for philosophical meandering which is where the real fun happens likewise the more you structure your week the more freedom you'll yeah. have in that week it's it's a it's the um, the paradox, you know, that that's ever present. We can find a hundred examples if we sit here right now of adding structure to gain freedom yes. in a training program. The more structure you have in an annual plan, the the more uh, flexible you become at the short term with your biofeedback and what you actually need to do at that time because you've got this, you know, yes. overarching faith in where it's going and you know what 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 you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then just back to some of the reading material, some of the Toltec sort of literature, uh, yeah. you know, I think should be a prerequisite before people get into some of the, you know, the more mainstream sort of things like Eckhart and those sorts of things. I think Eckhart picks up the thread and it's so accessible. Like there's really, Eckhart, Tolle, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's so accessible. You know, everyone that I know that's read that from the age of, you know, 12, right up to, you know, my mum who's 72 has been able to grasp his concepts. He's got a gift. Yeah. But just before that, some of that Toltec stuff, uh, you know, sets the, uh, like almost like a, you know, a, a story of mm. why the ego is there in the first place. Interesting. So, so for guys, guys that are listening, so the Eckhart Tolle books that um, have made the, the biggest impact on most people's lives are The Power of Now and A New World. Mm. Um, are there any books, Toltec specific books that, 
you, you can think of? Yeah, the four agreements. Yeah, the four agreements. The mastery of love and uh, the voice of knowledge, I think, yep. is the third one. Don't quote me on that third one. Mate. And I would and I would add in for anybody listening, uh, Alan Watts. Like I, In my personal journey, I found Alan Watts very accessible in terms of understanding the mind, understanding this duality that we're talking about and, and developing awareness. And Alan Watts was a philosopher who's, who's dead now, but he was uh, a Zen Buddhist. Um, but he put it into everyday language, in my opinion. Um, so just going back to your point, Nick, about uh, freedom and discipline. Like this, is, this is something I, I strongly believe in. Um, a lot of people see them as, as, that, as that being paradoxical, um, yeah. like, like discipline and structure um, equals rigidity, yeah. imprisonment. Um, talk to me about how that's not the case. Yeah, I can do. I can easily. Uh, it's it's a it's a balance for sure. It's a and it's a knife edge balance at that. Again, I'll use the body as an as an analogy because it's what I'm most familiar with. You need what's called tensegrity to survive. It's the it's the balance between tension in the body between shapes and structures at any given moment. If those shapes and structures are too rigid, something will break. Because the vibrations or the, the yeah. you know the vectors where the force meets will hit something that's a weak it'll naturally reside in weakened tissue or weaker structures yeah. and those weaker structures will, will cop the brunt of that and so uh, you know strength doesn't equal rigidity discipline doesn't equal sort of imprisonment uh, in fact I've heard recently of a, of a nice take on discipline as opposed to being sort of regimented and, and how we conceive, we conceive discipline, uh, it's compassion to do something. So to be, and the analogy they used was quite nice, eating chocolate for someone that's trying to lose weight. It's not so much the discipline to not eat chocolate, it's the compassion to do the best thing by yourself that ends up manifesting what would be called discipline. And so when we train and people think we're disciplined and, and, you know, so on and so forth, never missing a session for months and months at end and, you know, and so on and so forth, some people can't relate to that. But the experience and the benefit that we pull from those sessions make that the, you know, the easy decision to make. Fully. So this is the transformation of, uh, from fear to love. Yeah, correct. Of flipping something on its head so you're not you're not motivated by getting hit by the stick you're, yeah. you're motivated by doing something to honor yourself which is obviously a more powerful motivator 100 percent. yeah that's interesting so 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 when you coach people and for your own training uh it's it's more about what gets you up at five in the morning or whatever to do your do your laps or to do your sessions sure is this idea you don't feel like the the, the i have to no, never. You yeah. never feel that? Yeah, never. And what do you feel instead? I In feel... those dark winter mornings yeah, where, yeah. where you're under your doona <laughs> and it's cold outside. Mate, I, I, for me, it's, uh, I'll try and sort of put myself in the mind of one of the 15-year-olds that, that gets up. Uh, probably um, sort of the, the, the desire to see something out to challenge themselves for the first time. There's very few domains. Actually, I'll take that back. There are, there are tons of domains where you can achieve this sort of thing, but sports are really available to young Australian kids, so it's, it's a good one to sort of focus on. Yeah. You could translate that into the workplace for a 45-year-old 
male or female, you know, just as easily. Like there's so many, and you know, arenas where you can test your mindset and your, you know, your physicality and so on and so forth. Yeah. And these kids, they've never really been offered a test that's worthy of a 15 year old structure. Yeah. Like we we undershoot our population in what they're capable of by such a drastic amount. It's almost uh, shameful. Yeah. And these guys, they get whiff of the fact that they really don't have a ceiling anymore. The ceiling that they thought was put on them, that was put on them by their parents or by school or by TV, they break through that in the first fortnight and then they're just like, holy shit, where's this going to go? Yeah. And that's what gets them out of bed. The colder, the darker, the, you know, horizontal rain, the harder the session, you know, the harder the taskmaster, the more, you know, dedicated the squad. They're just like, where's this going to go? And they're fascinated. It's like the early explorers on physical, on a geographical level. Oh, they're just taking off. They have no idea. Explorers and, and of know. their potential. Correct. Their exactly. limitless potential. Correct. Wow. That's what gets them out of bed. That's what gets me out of bed because I know that even though I've you know been around a few cycles of this, yeah. every single cycle something you know really simple and profound comes out of that, and then the next day something really complex and ineffable will be discovered. It's just you know it's the it's the gift that just keeps on giving mm. every single time you put yourself in that in, in that arena. That's amazing, man. So how, how do you deal with failure? So, you know, it's, it's almost become quite cliche to say, oh, if you're failing, you're, you're learning. If you're sure, failing, you're growing. Sure. But there's, there's truth in it. Yeah. But let's break it down to like actual life experience. Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. how do you actually grow from failure? Yeah, yeah. Fa- failure is fantastic. I just want to uh, similar in line with the, the conversation I had with my nephew uh, yesterday. I said, in my greatest fear for my kids and, and, and you know it's probably an extension of me I should probably look at it a little bit deeper maybe I will in this conversation my greatest fear is that you will win and still feel like you failed because your effort hasn't matched the process hasn't matched the outcome that fine balance but you know the, uh, you know Jackson Mahai talks about skills challenge ratio mm-hmm. exactly that I suppose I've borrowed that concept subconsciously um, and and so failure is really a failing of one or the other variable in that balance. Either the skills have failed, which mm-hmm. is f- fabulously diagnostic. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and, and hone your skills. Mm-hmm. Or the challenge has failed you and pick a fucking better challenge. Yeah. Man, it's so easy. Like it's yeah. failure is diagnostic. Failure isn't the end game, man. Failure has mm-hmm. just told you where you are at that point in time. And it's like a little, you know, it's like the, it's like going bowling with the bumpers up. You know, yeah. every time you hit a bumper, that's a fail. Yeah. You know, but instead, what it's done is just rerouted that ball towards the pins. Yeah. So basically, failure is just a, a extremely useful. It's almost like our ally in life. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the perception around it is completely wrong. Yeah. 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 yeah it's yeah, completely yeah. wrong. Yeah. No, I love that. Like when you when I think about um, what why, for example, Silicon Valley is what Silicon Valley is. You got all these entrepreneurs that take ridiculous risks and <laughs> and um, they really see failure as a badge of honor yep. to the point where some investors won't invest in people unless they've had a couple of failures under their belt yeah yeah I think it I think it's the measure of someone you know how they uh, how they perceive failure not how they deal with failure I think that's superficial like just because you kept going I mean like life doesn't stop life's dynamic you yeah. know your failure doesn't ever really stop anything yeah. unless you unless you you know really let it and you fall into this sort yeah. of you know void uh, I think you know the more 
sort of failures you've had, the more opportunity you've had to, to you know, oscillate between yeah. states, between strategies, and ultimately find something that's, uh, that's right for that point in time. Mm. How, do you, how do you approach goals and objectives? Because what I see in our culture is this obsession with smart goals and KPIs and metrics and things like that. Yeah. And it seems to me that it's very much head-driven goals as opposed to heart-driven goals. Um, and I see a lot of people disillusioned with goals because they've failed to hit a goal in the past and now they've got like this negative relationship with goals and, and they associate it with failure. And what, how do you approach goals? Yeah, well, we don't really set them. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done very uh, limited amount of work with the kids with goals. We have, uh, we've, we've invested our time a lot more in presence and awareness and and as such uh the goals sort of end up you know uh glistening in front of you almost organically like it it becomes uh it becomes uh i'm going to start that again we also talk about you know self-limitation being probably the most being most impactful limiting factor that you can impose upon yourself and so just as easily as a goal might stretch you out to be your best if you can't conceive of how good you can potentially be and really that's an impossible question because no one really knows how good they're going to be then you're putting a limiting factor on that by setting a goal yes 100 percent so the idea for me of, of a smart goal, like the idea of a goal that's, I think the A is like achievable in smart goal, like having like specific, measurable, achievable. And oh, I remember like, that from PE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they use it in business context all yeah, the time. Yeah, right? yeah. So specific, measurable, achievable. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the R. And then the, the T is time bound. Right. Like maybe the R is realistic. Yeah, uh, I think maybe, it is. I think it is. Which means the A is something else. But anyway, like the idea of a realistic goal to me is just stupid right because what is what what i might view as possible right now yeah correct in my level of consciousness right now yeah might be completely different to tomorrow yeah like because i've evolved in in my again back to the body uh our our sort of motto the guys i work with is uh don't you know the body's a three-dimensional problem don't give it a two-dimensional solution yes you give someone a static goal yes in a dynamic organism and yes. mate, you you know you've, you've underdone yourself drastically yes so goals have to be three-dimensional yeah. and dynamic yeah like well you don't even use goals so what, so what do you use yeah. in, in do you use habits do you we use uh basically imagine imagine you know a goal as sort of like a you know a, a line in front of you yeah we deliberately evaporate the line and then we test each and every fiber of our body to see where we go. And we measure where we go retrospectively. And we draw that on a whiteboard. And then, but we never have a goal. We never have a number where we're going. We have a number where, we're, where we were at yesterday. And you go out there and the next day, you just, you know, you find anything you can, whether that's a mindfulness element, whether that's a nutritional element, an ergogenic aid, a biomechanical aspect you know where you stabilize your pelvis a little bit more oh, you man. Know, and that's you know we throw every multifactorial thing we can and then we go out there and you you find that uh, hopefully you find a flow state in there mm. where we were talking about well, before you press, press play and then you know that number will reflect that yeah so what you the process of 
achievement that you've just described is something that they've been using in, in martial arts for centuries. And there's a Japanese word called zanshin, which translates as the mind with no remainder. So the idea is that you engage in a process so fully that you leave the mind, you leave the consciousness no remainder to think about the outcome. Mate, I didn't know about that word or that. Yeah, it's exactly what we're doing and, and you know we've stumbled upon it organically but yeah. it's always nice to know that it's been done before yeah and there's potentially some literature that I can oh man there is I'll, I'll point you to a book please so basically there's a there's a book everyone should should check it out it's called zen and the art of archery uh-huh. by a german dude called i think something hugel but he he lived in japan in the 1920s and he studied japanese archery and because he had this Western mindset, he went in there thinking, right, I'm going to get to shoot some shit. I'm going get, to get a massive bow in my hand and I'm going to get to shoot a target and I'm going to prove how awesome I am. <laughs> and it, some, it wasn't till something like a year after he started that he actually got to aim at a target. <laughs> and he was like bitterly disappointed. He spent months, the, f- the first few months, he spent purely learning how to, how to put his feet his stance, yeah, his beautiful. body position. Yeah. He, he spent months doing how to hold the bow, how to hold the arrow. Um, he spent months without never even seeing a target, never even firing an arrow. And the, the lesson in this is the, the, the Japanese concept in this Zanshin phrase of, of having, a, having a target but then releasing the target. So what you said before, you said you have a goal but you let it evaporate. Yeah. So this is exactly the same thing. So you have, a, you have a goal but then you forget the goal and you just immerse yourself in the steps that will take you unavoidably, unstoppably towards the accomplishment of that goal. Yeah, yeah. I also find if you have a goal and, and it's all, you know, thinking back to your SMART mm. acronym, uh, it, it's inherently flawed because the very first word specific mm. if you have a specific outcome in mind then you're most likely going to employ a specific skill set to that and uh, let's use cheating in sport as an analogy here yeah. if you use uh, steroids yeah. to to become faster fitter etc you're most likely hindering so many other you know amazing biochemical processes that work synergistically in mm-hmm. your organism to you know to promote growth and and you know and development and you're probably shutting down a ton of faculties that would otherwise have been you know employed readily to achieve that outcome in the first place Absolutely. and so you know if you if you have a goal and you 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 know you're fixated on that goal yeah what aren't you employing yeah to achieve your potential absolutely absolutely that's a very interesting point wow so we've covered off uh, dealing with failure. Or we've covered off, first of all, um, just going back to, to your path of evolution, which is what we're really getting into here. Okay, so from the, ni- from the ages of 19 to 24, you went through this process which involved mentorship, literature, awareness exercises, getting a, f- a very deep understanding of your ego and who you actually are. P- potentially deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... And then we've talked a little bit about um, freedom and discipline. We've talked about you, um, how you approach goals and how you deal with setback and failure. What else comes into the, equi- into the equation when you talk about maximum potential or, you know, like really nailing life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, li- it's a touch on the crude side, but we have a motto 
down at the kayak club, don't be a pussy. <laughs> um, I mate, there's there's a lot to be said in that statement. Like I said, it's a little crude. I could refine it easily for the audience, but uh, have a real hard go. Yeah. And you know, just mate, just bottom out, just balls to the wall. You know, just have a real dig at what you're doing, and at the very least, you're going to have a really good time, and you're going to learn about yourself, uh, and, and you know, and the potential at the other end of the spectrum is limitless. You have no idea what you're going to get back from having a real hard dig, uh, you know, and, and say you have a real hard dig and one of your faculties or one of your, you know, one of the aspects that makes you who you are finds a, you know, a cliff and you fall off the cliff, let's use physical in the training setting, yep. then, mate, you know where that boundary is. And so yep. all of a sudden you can find yourself because you have two polarities, you have you have resting state and you have complete and utter, mm-hmm. you know, lactic acid to the point where your gums hurt and, and you can't control your tongue anymore and you're dribbling down your face and, and you know, and you then know there, that's, that's it, you know, that's, that's the point where you've gone to and that's resting state over here on the other end of the graph. And so you know who you are physically because you know where you sit in the middle at any given time. Mm. And so much of the, so, so, you know, a great percentage of the population will never know their physical limit at that time, at that point in time. And so you can't ever know where you are. And again, I'll take that back to the epidemic of anxiety and depression and whatnot. In the body, if you don't know where you are in space and time, it's called proprioception, your reptilian part of your brain will freak out and it will employ a rigidity strategy in your body and you will end up with pain and degeneration and injury and lack of function. If you know where you are in space and time and you have proprioception, you will have function, you'll have freedom, you'll have fascial integration, you'll have neural development, you'll have biochemical health, potentially epigenetic health as well. If you don't know where you are, which comes back to you know awareness and ego, if you don't challenge each of those boundaries at any given time and often challenge them often immerse yourself in hardship then you won't know who you are and you'll be anxious and depressed wow okay so that (laughs) that was a big no that's amazing because that that reframes or goes a lot deeper into this idea that of don't be a pussy of don't be a pussy but also go outside your comfort zone oh absolutely you know so so this is a this is amazing like talking about the proprioception side of things so when when you first said that i was thinking about like on a on a physical plane yep. like if you don't if you don't know where you are then your body tenses up um and you know you're you're, you're going to get injured if you can't of conceive of this to the guys listening uh you know go and stand on a swiss ball for the first time yeah and see what your body does it makes big you know uh sort of crude adjustments to that like you're moving as a big unit but as you as your brain works out how intricate and beautiful that balance can be it'll start to still and you'll end up with a micro tremor in your in your feet and your ankles as you're starting to mitigate that instability right from down there and that's true sort of like harmony yeah and and the body does the same thing and the mind does the same thing as well just go and stand on a swiss ball in your mind put yourself in a situation you know uh, you know, take on the job or the portfolio that you don't think you're able to do, and watch yourself adapt and watch yourself balance, and you, you won't sink. Yeah, go there and no go and go and talk to that hot girl. Correct. In, yeah, in yeah. the pub. Yeah, exactly. Go and join. Yeah. You know, sign up for that triathlon yeah. or whatever yeah. that you're bloody scared of doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, what what you're and saying is that you, you're going to literally grow. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 
Wow. And remember our chat about failure as well. Failure, you know, because I, I, I'm a big believer that the fear of failure is a, you know, is a construction that for some reason or another has been deeply embedded in our culture. And it's based on a premise that can be disproved or at least argued against pretty successfully in five seconds flat. Hmm. You don't stop when you fail. So why would you, you why, why do you perceive failure as a static endpoint when no part of your biology or mind stops when you fail? Just explain that a bit more. Uh, let's use uh, yeah okay so so you, you keep breathing the second after you perceive you fail. And so why did you perceive that the failure was an endpoint when no part of your body or your essence or the environment that you're interacting with stopped to even take notice? Right, right, right. So the so so the perception of endpoint failure point is yeah. completely artificial. Yeah, absolutely. And created by my whatever my my thoughts. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, but it could just be seen as a beginning point. Absolutely, or just the continuum as it yeah. most likely is in in sort of vibration and biology. Yeah. Uh, in a spiral, like it's just a point on the spiral, you know. Yeah. Every time you go around a spiral, and you know, let's use the Earth's orbit, you know, night and day sort of thing, like inevitably the day ends and the night begins and then you know oh, it's, it's cyclical why would failure and success be treated any differently oh man that's that's such a cool way to put it because i see i see failure really stopping a lot of people in their tracks or perceived failure perceived stopping failure. people yeah. in their tracks like yeah. the person who goes for the job interview and they they get knocked back yeah um and then it happens another two times and then they're like right fuck this yeah i'm just gonna keep on doing what i'm doing yeah so what you're saying is that this is that endpoint is is just a it's just on the continuum. It's yeah, correct. And go go back and revisit the variables that are yeah. in your control for that job interview. Yeah, uh, is your skill set high enough? You know, people are so resigned to thinking that you know there's a lot of externalization of blame about yeah. a lot of the variables that you can control. I don't have. They're after someone with more experience than me, so I'll never yeah. get the job. I'll go and get experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That job. At that point in time, the skill challenge ratio that Csikszentmihalyi yeah. talks about isn't in your favor. That's right. And so what do you need to do, however uncomfortable it may seem, what do you need to do to swing that ratio to the point where you're humming and you get that job? Because people also think that happiness and motivation is a divine right. And I'm very, very quick to uh, in my squad with the guys mm. to, to suggest that it is completely at your mercy whether or not you are motivated or you are happy with something based on your perception and the effort that you're employing in a given situation. Yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting. Have, have you ever dealt with self-doubt and yeah, uh, the voice in your head that yeah, says massively. you're not good enough? Yeah, like I said, back to that polarity yeah. discussion. Unless you know exactly the either ends of the spectrum, you don't know where you stand. And I've been self-doubt to the, I've experienced self-doubt to the point where I've given up on something that could potentially have yielded great, uh, you know, great amounts of happiness and, and success and whatnot like that. And I gave it away, and it's a massive regret. And I can probably, you know, now I think about, it, I can probably think of three or four times in my life early on where that's been the case. And no doubt it will be cyclical. So no doubt I'll experience that at some point in the future again on a grander scale because my skill set now is adequate to deal with what I'm facing right now, but some challenge will come along 
that'll that'll push me to revisit and renew yeah. my philosophies and my strategies and my tactics yeah. um, and my and my awareness of myself. And I'll be grateful for when that happens. Yeah. Shortly after it's over, uh, yeah. because uh, you know that will have you know triggered me to be uh, you know a, a, a higher functioning me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. So. So when I, when I think about peak performance and, you know, we've got a culture where a lot of people just want to go for peak performance, you know, maybe it's an evolutionary thing. We want to fulfill our, our human potential. But I see a lot of people trying to go for this, the sexy stuff first of all. Mm. And I view it like I've just created like a three-phase structure. The bottom layer is all about that self-awareness that we discussed before, like really knowing the why why who, yeah. who the hell you are why you're doing this yeah. like what's what, what is like the core motivations beyond all those uh, reasons why you think you're doing something yeah, yeah? Um, and then and then I view the second stage as the power stage which is like the the trunk and the branches of a tree like the 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 discipline the rituals the routine the habits that you build into your into your life uh, and then finally the, the, the final stage I think kind of like is almost like a side effect of living those two stages, which is like mastery and tweaking mindset and things like that. Do you, in, in your life experience, like I want to get into your habits and your routines, like that middle phase. Like I, I know that you must, to, to do all the stuff that you do, you must be quite a, a routine-driven person. Yeah, I, um, I really like your, your, your structure there. I'll, I'll tell you the, what I am employing. Yeah, I'm employing a really quick shuttle between those three stages at any given time. So I'm constantly revisiting that bottom, middle, yeah. and top stage. Yeah, and I do that as fast as I can. Yeah, as as readily as I can, and I yeah. do that, you know, in between strokes on the water. Sometimes, like I'll revisit, you know, foundational thoughts and then technical aspects, and then you know, a, a higher mastery. Like, how does that water feel, or something like that? Like, I'll yeah. I'll literally oscillate between those three stages. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, really quickly until there's a deficiency in one of them, yeah. and then I'll find, as you said before, finding high performance sexy. I'll find even the most basic, mundane task really, really attractive as a as a prospect yeah. because it's that's where I need to be. And I'm going to turn everything I know on its head to enjoy that and to immerse myself in achieving that. And then I'll feed that back into that cyclical model. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So a quick shuttling between all three of those phases. Yeah. So you're constantly on a daily basis, on a second to second basis, yeah. you're tuning into your self-awareness, your self-knowledge, who you are, why you're doing this. Yeah. And then you're leaning on your, your, your discipline, your routines, your, your structure. Yeah. Um, and your and that has a reflection, you know. Hopefully, I think it, from talking to people, it's perceived that that's quite successful. But it's never that way in my mind. It's all it is, just what it is. And yeah. I go back to that first stage as quickly as I've gotten to the third stage, and, yeah. and so on and so forth. You know, yeah. you can't have one without the other, and so you may as well revisit them and keep them fresh. Like I said, until the point where you really need to develop one. And then what's really important is that you create enough stress yeah. in that one to create an adaptive change. It's like, oh, I'll give the, a sporting analogy again. If you want to be a, a sprinter, yeah. we know it is resoundingly clear in the research in physiology and bio, biology and biomechanics that if you want to sprint, 
it is not okay to do endurance, sprint, anaerobic threshold, gym, circuit training, cross training in one week. It's like a soup for the brain and the physiology. You won't get any adaptation for the sprinting. It is okay, however, to do all of those things that I mentioned in a, you know, in a sequential manner, in a, you know, in a, in a temporally significant, you know, building fashion. And then when you want to sprint, you have to sprint and you have to sprint hard. And that all is all that your brain needs to know for a period Mm. of time to get the adaptation, you know, but if you want to maintain any of the others, then it's fine to do that sort of cyclical thing. You just won't get any better at them. Mm. you won't get any worse and so treat the mind the same Mm. it's amazing man when i when i i was just thinking about all the things that you have on your plate all the things that you're doing right now from being an athlete to being a scholar to being an entrepreneur and how each one of those things could you know could be seen as 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 a full-time responsibility it could be seen as a burden but for you i just know that this is you just expressing your life force this is like so purposeful for you. It's just, it's just like you living. Yeah. So in a sense, it's effortless. Yeah, correct. Yeah, like yeah. It's just you being you. Yeah. Right. Is that what it feels like? Yeah, for sure. And and the philosophy that superimposes over all of those things is virtually the same. Yeah. They're all little just domains. In fact, maybe you could even flip it on your head as it's a sign of weakness that I've picked so much stuff. To keep me interested in exploring these, mm. you know, philosophies, because yeah. uh, maybe I'm going against what I just said in a training method. Maybe it would be more yeah. uh, sort of stressful and, and more difficult to pick one and really immerse yourself in that and see all the highs and lows. Yeah. But uh, at, at this point in time, I'm really happy with doing what I'm doing, <laughs> so, so I'm not going to change. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so where can people find out more about the uh, the, the the range of awesome high quality products and talk to us a little bit about uh what stands red hippo apart from other sports nutrition brands oh mate uh, a couple of key factors you know put it heads and shoulders above is the fact that there's no toxic load in the product at all yeah and so there's no fillers there's no ingredients there that aren't there for some recovery or restorative capacity yeah it's been designed uh, at point two. It's been designed at a level which targets all of the pertinent aspects of restoration, not one or two, and leaves the rest for the body to sort of figure out, you know, throughout the day. Yeah. We estimate there's about eight to 10 aspects of restoration biochemically that you need to really address, you know, conscientiously yeah. if you want to recover. And then uh, thirdly, it, it, it's, it, it was born out of, uh, a, you know, a really profound understanding about, uh, synergy of food types and biochemistry yeah. and also in nutrigenomics how food and biochemistry interacts with epigenetics to create uh, an outcome that is deserving of the effort that you've put in so it's a you know it's a really cool company i'm really proud to be yeah. a part of it yeah and people it's it's redhippo.com.au the redhippo.com.au the redhippo.com.au cool all right, guys, we've got to wrap it up there. Um, but um, I'm going to ask Nick if he can come back on the show at some stage because there's a ama- there's so many topics we didn't even get near to discussing. <laughs> like so many topics. Like going, we could spend hours talking about the brain, talking about flow states, talking about fascia, talking about epigenetics. Um, because Nick's just has a lot of knowledge about and a lot of passion about a lot of these areas. Uh, but we've got to wrap it up there for now. I'm going to put in the show notes all details on how you can find out more about the cool stuff he's doing. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, mate. Always a pleasure. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Nick Dorr. 
Well, who would have thunk it? Peak performance, this peak performance of a guy who is not only excels as a professional athlete, but also excels as a chiropractor, as an entrepreneur, as an all-around good guy, as a coach to younger um, athletes. He's just such a rounded individual. And it was awesome to hear how his sense of peak performance is really one that has come through, through Nick developing a real deep self-awareness, a really, really, really looking deep to find motivations that were not external, not extrinsic, not, extrinsic, not reliant on validation or pats on the back. But he really went deep into himself after that incident as a younger athlete where he achieved so much and he felt flat afterwards. He really created for himself a whole new set of motivating forces in his life. And this really comes from a place of really doing the work to know who the hell you are, what makes you unique, what your drivers are, what your values and beliefs are, what you stand for. When you start getting deep and drilling into this sort of information this, with this level of scrutiny, then what emerges is authenticity. All of a sudden, you have real, genuine, authentic drivers that can push you forward. You're no longer driven by something that's not going to be real in one or two years or something that someone can take away. These are, these are things that are never going to go away. So Nick's motivation in life right now, the reason why he can juggle so much, the reason why he can take on so many projects and flow through life is because he's firmly rooted to this authentic and sustainable form of performance which is grounded in purpose. And that, my friends, is an awesome nugget to think about. So until next time, take it easy. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.